0: Hi, my name is Bruce Perram. Welcome to my podcast series Trauma from the Frontline. In this series, we'll be interviewing a wide range of people that work in the frontline industries who will be sharing their professional and personal thoughts and ideas about working in the field and some of the challenges that they all confront. Hi there, this is Bruce Perram from Trauma from the Frontline. Uh, you'll remember last week I interviewed um, Don, who was a policeman for five years and a, a paramedic I think for more than thirty, um, who has PTSD, and he talked about his dog Bernie in in that um, in that interview. And Bernie's a, a therapy dog that was trained by Assistance Dogs Australia and. Um, Don said to me it would be really good to talk to them on the program and I thought it would be really good to talk to them on the program and, you know, I've read different things over the years about the role that um, therapy dogs can play in people with PTSD. So today my guest um, person is Artie and Artie's from Assistance Dogs Australia. Artie's the mental health specialist there and he's a trained um, psychologist. So, thank you for joining us, Artie. Um, maybe the the first question is just to tell me a little bit about how you came to be working at Assistance doc, or we'll just say ADA from now. How did you come to be working at ADA?
1: Um,
0: it's one of those
1: uh, one of those stories. I think we you, you, know, you just kind of fall backwards into a really great position. More, more or less out of luck than anything else. Um, I was coming out of um, uh, my master's and I was looking for work um, to sort of add on to some of the internship stuff that I was doing. So a few days a week I was working sort of as a psychologist um, and I was looking for jobs that sort of required a bit of like mental health um, uh, related stuff. Uh, and I saw I saw an ad come up that basically said, you know, uh, mental health work um uh, and it had a picture of a dog i think somewhere in the ad um and i, I kind of uh, jumped on it um uh, before even going through too many of the details if there's dogs involved i'll i'll throw my hat in um and i went through the process and some interviews and things and um, found out what it is about and um it's sort of an area of interest of mine in general um uh, in terms of trauma and. Um, obviously I love animals so uh, I was lucky enough to to land the gig and I've been here um, ever since it's about four four or five years ago wow
0: so tell us about um you know the early days when when you started there and um some of the experiences that you had at the beginning
1: yeah um it was really eye-opening I think um like I by no stretch would I have called myself a skeptic um, coming in, I think, in terms of, like, the impact, um, you know, that assistance dogs can have on people's lives. Um, but I think if if you had told me prior to doing the work how much of an impact they could have, um, I may have raised sort of an eyebrow. Um, it's, um, it's really transformative stuff. Um, yeah, the early classes... So my role especially when I started, it sort of expanded a little bit since then, but my role when I started was um, to come in and and work um, on the human side of the PTSD classes. Um, So they had the instructors and the trainers working um, with the dogs and sort of uh, teaching the skills to the people coming um, uh, to receive their dogs. Um, But they wanted uh, somebody to come in and make sure that the program was um, trauma-informed. Uh, And that was in line with the guidelines uh, put down by Assistance Dogs International, sort of the the governing body internationally of these types of organisations. And so I came on board um, to work a little bit on the workshops themselves when people came in to do uh, the training and then also to prepare some materials and things to make sure it was okay. Um, Those early workshops were... uh, yeah, really sort of life-changing, I guess, Uh, obviously for the people coming uh, to get their dogs, but for me as well. Um, There were instances where some of the people hadn't really been able to leave their house comfortably for years, years and years. Um, And it was a big ask getting them to come up and do the training here um, at our national training school in, in Waterfall. Um, but they, they did it, they sort of, you know, met us where we were at and to go from being almost sort of housebound, um, to strolling down, you know, the center of Cronulla, um, with their dog, um, and getting through that experience, um, and being impacted, but, you know, working their way through it, uh, that was, that was astonishing to see. Um, Yeah. Were,
0: were, were some of those uh, people, um, you know, had had uh, traditional therapy or were many had not had traditional therapy? or
1: So, so all of them would have had some traditional therapy. Um, the way we sort of frame this program and the assistance dogs is as an adjunct to uh, sort of primary uh, care. Yeah. So... Uh, to qualify for the program you would have had to have gone through some level of individual and or group um, uh, treatment um, but still sort of require, I guess, um, that additional help. Um, yeah.
0: So so what was your sense, Adi, of, um, of how the therapy that, you know, people had 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 uh, whether it made a difference to whether they felt it had made a difference, or um, you know, uh, what yeah, what was yeah. The, your general thoughts there?
1: So, I guess with PTSD and and sort of trauma related mental health um, difficulties, uh, you know, there's sort of a, a gradient, I guess of, of um, of how how much of an impact it's having on people, um, so a lot of the people had benefited a lot from uh, the interventions that they'd been through. Um, a lot of them had built up um, great insight, and um, I think a lot of them had found their way to almost like an equilibrium of sorts, like a stability. So. Their intervention had gotten them to a point where things weren't in flux, but they were still experiencing those symptoms mm. and having sort of a, quite a lot of hardship um, from them. Uh, but they've been able to sort of secure good supports around them, been able to sort of understand um, where this was coming from in them, sort of relief. Um, some of those judgments pointed towards themselves. Um, uh, you know, it's very much sort of a, a lifelong journey, I suppose, once, once some of this stuff happens um, and so they've seen some benefits um, I guess I don't know if it sort of if it's jumping the gun a little bit but um, what the what the dogs provide is sort of in the moment consistent uh, sort of affective support so so support for that um, uh, uh, hyper vigilant Um, emotional response, that that, uh, fight-flight response, um, that threat response system. Um, The dogs help to tune that down. And so that works, you know, fantastically as as an adjunct um, to that other sort of side of the therapeutic stuff uh, because you have that in the moment on the ground help um, uh, combined with, you know, the psychotherapy and the, the medication Um, Hopefully, to sort of cover all areas of life. Mm. That
0: makes sense. When, when, yeah, it does. You know, when when you you started, and I think you mentioned that you you know didn't really know uh, what you were getting into. um, That was that surprising as you started to recognise the role that the dogs could play in assisting the person to. Um, I guess, in a way, utilised the strategies that I'd learned in therapy?
1: Mm, it was. Um, yeah, it really sort of ignited, I guess, um, like an interest or a passion in me to sort of uh, learn as much as I could about where that effect was coming from and how to get the most out of that sort of connection that these people were forming with their, um, with their dogs. Um, and it works really well, I think, synergistically. I, I don't think it's something to look at as uh, sort of like a separate intervention. This isn't... Um, I don't think an assistance dog necessarily is going to be the be-all and end-all, but I think on its own it works quite well and, and in combination with the other sort of supports that people have in place... Um uh, really sort of helps to, to cover cover
0: everything it, it, so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because in a way, it's almost like where the therapist can't be there with you at those times like you mm. you escalate or you're hypervigilant or you've got to go out and you're, you're dealing with anxiety, your therapist can't be there to help you with that. Um, right. but the, the, so it's sort of in a way that the dog takes on that kind of calming role
1: yeah yeah so the the way the way we like to sort of conceptualize it is the the characterizing feature of uh PTSD and and other trauma related uh, mental health difficulties is one of um you know a sensitized threat response system um And that mismatch between um, your threat response and the environmental demands, then, you know, through a myriad of different channels leading to lots of difficulties across lots of areas of life. Um, In therapy, uh, sort of psychotherapy, you are looking to often kind of, bring some of those experiences up in, in a safe and supported space and reintegrate them so that they're they're less activating, um, you know, in the background. You almost reassess the environment um, and sort of relearn safety. And the the medication um, ideally helps with that as well. So, you know, it brings down uh, some of those escalated bodily responses and allows for a bit of um, relief from that state of sort of heightened tension to facilitate that functioning. What the dog does is it lets you develop this warm non-judgmental trusting connection, this sort of deep relationship with an animal that's going to be with you night and day and through that sort of reciprocal back-and-forth relationship, you you tap into that sort of calm, right? The dog is almost there as like a, a, a signal constantly reminding you that, you know, the world is maybe not as scary as your body is telling you it is. Um, uh, and that back-and-forth is a big part of that, the, the reciprocal relationship. So you're, especially in the early days, Going to be depending on the dog quite a lot um but the dog even though it's extremely well trained is still a dog there are going to be certain situations where it's going to have a hard time as well and so you're going to be expected to step in and comfort the dog and move the dog to a space that's more safe and uh in doing so you sort of reinforce actively um that that sort of calming property uh, because you're you're having to provide it for another animal um, that, I guess that's sort of in a nutshell how we we like to think of the um, the role the dog plays uh, for the person and and in in the context of their other sort of therapies.
0: Well, that's, that's almost a um, for the person. It's um, how would you put it? It's uh, they are initiating caring and support when the dog's not comfortable, yep. and then the dog's providing that back to them when they're not comfortable so it's that reciprocal um, from a a psychological point of view you mentioned that you did a a lot of looking at at that relationship Mm. what's happening in in your understanding at that sort of psychological um, level
1: Uh, yeah um, quite a lot (laughs) Uh, so uh, with with the uh, sort of trauma-based difficulties, um, a lot of the really prominent stuff, obviously, is very, like, physiological. Um, so that heightened stress response is going to lead to a lot of those um, signs of stress, you know, elevated breath rate, heart rate, uh, feeling hot, um, being very sensitive to anything in the environment that might indicate sort of unexpected stuff, signal sort of threat. And so the dog helps to uh, sort of immediately tune that down a little bit. Um, so one of the reasons that's been suggested for why that might happen um, is that, you know, through our sort of co-development with dogs, so through through this process of um uh, domestication, and then the, the the various roles that we've assigned to dogs in our uh, sort of societies across the thousands and thousands of years that um, we've had them uh, as domesticated animals, um, we've we've learned to use their response to the environment around us as a signal uh, uh, to to you know whether things are actually threatening, right? So in our early relationship with dogs, um, because their sensory sort of field is much broader than ours in terms of their ability to hear things, smell things, see things. Uh, We would have looked to them to sort of indicate any danger before we were able to sort of sense it. Over the years, that's kind of expanded into other areas, but we're still sort of looking at them towards that thing. Um, We've selectively bred them to be more expressive in that regard as well, so uh, they're able to sort of communicate those feelings a little bit clearly um through their faces through their body language um so we pick up on those cues if we're you know if we have an affinity for dogs obviously some people some cultures are uh, less attuned um uh, but for for people who have an affinity towards dogs um sort of an intuitive sense of uh well if this dog is sort of calm and happy um then i should probably be calm and happy as well Um, another sort of Pathway that ties into that is one of uh, just sort of general attachment, connection, communication. So uh, because we as humans have this wonderful ability to anthropomorphize so look at things around us that aren't human but give them human characteristics, we can tap into that ability to uh, – uh, oh, <laughs> I'm just talking about this. My my dog's a little bit distressed. I'm giving him <laughs> a pat before I go.
0: <laughs> You're reaching out. <laughs> so
1: I'm reaching out. Um, uh, so we can tap into that sort of uh, ability to assign human features to other animals and use that to sort of weave those animals into you know, our uh, uh, usual models of relationships. And so the benefit in that with a dog is that the dog is coming to you uh, in a very sort of pure, simple way, right? You, you give them the care um, the love that they sort of deserve and, and they reciprocate that um, non-judgmentally and clearly. Um, and so you can form these sort of bonds uh, using that same sort of, you know, attachment framework that you might with other humans, but drawing, you know, much more in terms of like a positive, uh, uncomplicated connection um, and having access to that to calm you around all the time like you do with, with an assistance dog who, who has that ability to follow you into all of the different spaces in your life is, um, you know, tremendously helpful and then hopefully over the long span healing
0: as well. On, on that, um, you know, that the, the issue of the dog being, um, in a way, having a, a more effective threat detection system, is is that sort of where, say, the person um, or the owner might – Sort of what was that noise? Be really hyper vigilant, look at the dog, and go. Oh, the dog's not too worried. Um, yeah. Does it have that kind of? Well, I'm yeah. not going to worry till the dog worries.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, that that's an important feature in terms of how we're um, sort of breeding and training and selecting the dogs, because um, obviously we don't want. Animals that are going to be very reactive um, mm. to sort of uh, unusual things in their environment because that might contribute to um, somebody having a harder time um, or going in the opposite direction. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, I mean, we don't want dogs that are sort of totally dead to the world <laughs> around them either, but um, uh, yeah, just sort of a, a settled um, animal that's okay with a bit of novelty in the environment. Um, not overly reactive to other animals, other dogs, um, and able to yeah, be that sort of anchor point almost uh, for the people they're with.
0: Have there been um, particular breeds of dog that have, have you know, turned out to be more uh, suitable for the work?
1: Um, I mean, the vast majority of dogs we use are um, uh, Labrador Retrievers, um, we've had other breeds uh, come through. Uh, uh, obviously, Don um, has our, uh, our Bernie, our Bernie's Mountain Dog. Um, I don't know if there are breed-specific features. I think uh, uh, it's probably a question uh, for, for one of the dog people. I know, I know uh, the, the labs are really good from what I recall uh, during one of the little training sessions I've sort of been able to sit in on the labs are really good and that they kind of fall into a nice middle ground for a lot of things. So they're not too large, they not too small. They're not overly reactive. Their drive isn't too high, but it's not too low. Um, they're very uh, uh, food motivated. So they're easy to sort of uh, reward and um, it's easy to sort of tap into that food uh, drive to, uh, Uh, get the training to to sort of go relatively smoothly. Um, But I think you could probably do similar things with with most dogs, provided they had those features um, uh, in terms of being, uh, you know, well-connected with the person and not being overly sort of um, reactive uh, in in sort of novel spaces.
0: Yeah, do do you know, Artie, how they resource the dogs? I mean, do... Um, people bring their dogs to you or do you?
1: Um, no, so we have a, an internal uh, breeding program um, and then over the years I think we've also sourced dogs from other um, working dog uh, breeding programs or lines or other organisations um, working in uh, sort of the assistance dog field, um, uh, which is to say sort of uh, you know, dogs prepared for people with mobility issues or um, uh, dogs for people with visual vision issues or all sorts of other Mm organisations that prepare sort of working dogs in the same vein. Um, There are other companies that do um, uh, prepare uh, people with their own dogs or try to help um, people sort of... uh, train their dogs to sort of a certain standard to be able to access public access rights. But um, for us, we, we breed the dogs, uh, train them and, and mm. um, uh, uh, prepare them for people sort of fully internally.
0: So at, at that, um, you know, the therapeutic level, are there particular things that the dogs are taught?
1: Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, the training, um All of the dogs will have like a period uh, of uh, sort of basic obedience training, which will be mostly conducted by uh, volunteers. And then that's done under the oversight of of puppy educator supervisors, um, so people that will run classes and uh, monitor the progress of these dogs uh, going through um, uh, this sort of level of preparation with the volunteers. Um Those dogs will come in, I think, about 14 months um, into what we call advanced training, uh, but they'll spend four to six months uh, sort of getting um, uh, really sort of high-end skills, um, sort of daily uh, outings of um, training. The, the skills they learn there are sort of based on a template uh, for people with mobility issues. So the more traditional idea of assistance dogs um, is for um, people with sort of limited mobility, often in wheelchairs, who might require a dog to do um, uh, sort of activities around the household, uh, um, finding objects, picking things up, alerting other people if the person's in danger, if they've fallen out of their mobility aid um, or help them out in public um, in terms of... Clearing uh, path, or uh, sort of um, keeping them feeling comfortable, um, and so all of our dogs learn, I guess, a really broad range of skills uh, that apply to that area. Um, and then, as we sort of stream the dogs into where they'll end up, um, uh, so at Assistance Dogs Australia, we have programs for sort of uh, mobility dogs. Um, a PTSD program and a, a program for um, uh, kids on the autism spectrum um, where we prepare usually sort of a guardian or a parent um, uh, with the dog and then they uh, help the, the child um, on the autism spectrum uh, so we'll stream the dogs into those different pathways and then once they're streamed we'll give them a little bit more attention on the skills that are going to be more relevant in those areas so for the PTSD dogs that might be sort of contact based skills um, so Uh, For instance, they'll learn a nudge where they can uh, sort of bump their nose into a person's thigh. Um, And that can be helpful, for instance, if somebody is experiencing um, sort of a particularly elevated level of stress out in public or is um, experiencing some dissociative um, symptoms, uh, that sort of little piece of forceful contact can help sort of shake them back out and help them reconnect with the dog. Um, We also teach them to do uh, sort of laps on command or jump up and sort of give them a pat or um, do a visit which is sort of like a, a more subtle version of that where the dog will sort of place their head, excuse me, onto uh, the person's sort of uh, leg and sort of rest it there with a bit of force, um, again giving that sort of physical contact um, component, encouraging that sort of uh, uh, connection, um, uh, that sort of calming bond. And um, and then obviously there are, you know, the other, I guess, sort of less specific skills, so just positioning um, uh, the dog on one side or the other, um, being able to sort of have the dog sit under the legs. Uh, if you're on public transport, for instance, um, that keeps them out of the way, but it also gives that sort of uh, a consistent calming feedback. This um, as, as animal sort of right there. Um, on hand uh, providing that sort of touch um, that's calming Um, yeah so there's sort of like a variety of uh, more general skills that they're prepared with um, and then a little bit more focus and stuff that we um, expect to be more relevant Mm -hmm. um, once they're streamed off into of program
0: they end up going into. So at, at the point that um, a person with PTSD is becoming agitated or um, hypervigilant, is that sort of a, a combination of instinctual sense of the dog that this person I'm close to is now not yeah. not um, or, or their, their state has changed and then the dog instinctually responds to that? Um, So
1: that's a, yeah, it's a good question. Um, Some of the training, uh, once they're streamed off into PTSD, involves um, using common uh, sort of externalizing behaviors from humans as uh, sort of a cue for a specific behavior. So for instance, a bouncing leg, fast breathing, um, uh, uh, sort of, Um, hand-wringing or or sort of playing with the hair face down. Um, uh, Those might be used by some of the trainers as sort of uh, little like added added, uh, cues for specific skills, right? So if somebody is exhibiting one of those behaviours, the dog might come up and do the nudge skill, for instance, or do the lap skill, the visit skill um, to help sort of break them out. Um, We don't do too much of it, because we don't want to uh, we don't want to over prepare if that's not going to be the sort of externalizing behavior of the person the dog ends up going to but once the person sort of receives the dog and starts their um, training uh, uh, we, we encourage them to sort of think about what they most sort of often do when they're experiencing that stress and then we start the process with them of of sort of conditioning the dog to respond to that as their relationship sort of um grows over the course of between six and 18 months say um that becomes less about a sort of specific cue and more about that sort of instinctive response that the dog has Um, so you know initially the dog will respond to those cues based on that behavior but then As the dog becomes more aware of the person, the person becomes more aware of the dog and their sort of patterns of behaviour, the dog will pick up on it much earlier. Um, And, you know, we've gotten a lot of people, you know, reporting that the dog will respond to sort of their stress level rising before they're even sort of fully aware that things are starting to escalate for them.
0: And I'd imagine that's a part of the process that you can't really quantify, you know. It's that growth of the relationship where... The dog's had the basic training, but then develops it naturally in, in the context yeah. of the relationship.
1: Absolutely. And, and it's something that we like to put a bit of emphasis on. So we have um, our people come through and do what has been up to now a 10-day course. Um, so they'll come and, and stay up with us um, for 10 days to do all of the basic sort of training with their dog. Um, so they're ready to take it home and sort of start um, this journey with their with their uh, new assistance dog, um, and in that in that ten days, you know, we we teach them their skills, but we also emphasise um, the importance of that relationship uh, because that's that's what's going to lead to these sort of more intuitive things um, coming to um, to the forefront over time. Um, we do that with uh, some. Uh, well, like a little workshop we run on on mindfulness, for instance. So, you know, um, how do you spend time mindfully with your dog, doing activities that you're going to have to do uh, week in and week out anyway, right? If you're taking your dog for a walk, um, you know, how can we encourage you to sort of spend a bit of time uh, really just sort of in the moment, enjoying their company, um, and almost seeing the world through their eyes for a little bit, or... Um, if you're uh, grooming your dog, because that's such a sort of, uh, trust intensive and, and sensory sort of activity, um, how do you, you know, lean into that activity, um, uh, uh, make it something that's comfortable for the dog. Notice, you know, where, um, you know, where their comfort level is in terms of different things in a bath, if you're brushing them, um, how do they respond? How do you keep them feeling sort of safe and comfortable, um, uh, Sort of lean mindfully into that sort of activity as a way of strengthening that bond actively. Um, yeah, it'll happen anyway, obviously, mm. right? Once you're placed with that dog, that relationship will grow and and flourish. But um, if we can get them to sort of uh, lean into it a little bit more mindfully, um, you know, we hope to sort of uh, uh, get that get that growth supercharged in, when they when they leave
0: in the in the the matching process. Um, does the person spend some time with the dog to see whether there's a, a connection at the beginning or how do, you, how do you match a dog with a person?
1: So with our, with our uh, I guess, like infrastructure and where we are, the fact that we sort of surface uh, um, nationwide, um, often we don't have a chance. Um, we've had the opportunity to do that a few times um, where we've run in-person workshops and had um, the dogs come in and been able to sort of test out those relationships before running the class. But for the most part, our matching, uh, we just try to make it as as bang on as we can prior to that meeting. Yes. Um, so we'll use our um, uh, application form information and... Um, details that we gather through our interview with the person um, to uh, sort of fill out really lengthy uh, like spreadsheet Um, and then we'll match sort of practical features so um, you know if a dog is slightly more reactive they might be better suited to a space um, out of you know a city setting if they're very sort of settled and okay they might be okay to move into a more uh, busy area Um, We'll look at sort of uh, what the person has said they would prefer in terms of like, uh, you know, would they like a dog that's very, very, very affection heavy or they'd prefer a dog that has some independence Um, and then we'll we'll sort of match them on those criteria. Um, We'll look at, you know, even things like size, you know, if the person has, uh, particularly with our PTSD um, clients, um, if they have an added a uh, uh, physical condition that comes along that um, isn't sort of the primary concern, like it might be in our mobility clients, um, that we need to be aware of that, so we can match them with a the dog that you know uh, isn't going to tear their arm off if they if they pull out by, uh, by, by chance at some point. Um, so we just try to sort of match up those criteria as best we can, and then support that bond once they come up to class. Um, there have been. I think in the five years that I've been here, maybe one or two um, times that a person has come on and that bond just hasn't clicked um, uh, right away. And in those situations, we've sort of done our best to try and find an alternative um, for the person um, if we have one around. Um, and if that's not an option, um, then, you know, they just sort of stay up at the top of our uh, list and we, you know, bring them back once we find a dog that we feel might better suit them. Mm-hmm. Um but it's very uncommon, or it has been so far, very uncommon that we sort of miss the mark by much um, in terms of our matching uh, our process.
0: And uh, very interested in anecdotally, um, how have people, you know, described the experience back to you? You know, that have maybe you know eighteen months, two years, or more into the relationship. What sort of um, feedback do you get?
1: Yeah, that's that's often. Like one of the highlights i think um, is hearing from the wonderful sort of stories um, a lot of people for whom um, it's it's almost been like the dog was sort of like a final missing piece mm. um, you know where they had a lot of supports already in place and things were sort of kicking along but then they they got this added uh helper um, to sort of carry them through those difficult situations Um, potentially at work or in the public and all of a sudden the whole world sort of opens up for them a little bit more. Um, Yeah, we've had people, you know, who felt they would never work again, um, never be able to uh, sort of hold a job with, you know, the intensity of their symptoms, um, find, you know, gainful employment and have that area of their life open back up. Um, Many people able to enjoy things that were just totally off the radar for years, Um, going to public events or sporting events has been a big one, being able to sort of um, track down to the local oval and watch the kids or the grandkids um, play for the first time um, with their sort of companion, uh, sometimes almost like a little uh, de facto mascot. Um, Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, I mean, it's not all... uh, It's not always sort of sh- straightforward right? like having the dog brings some stresses with it. Um, if you if you have a Labrador walking down the street with a person, they're going to be you know a cute dog somebody might shoot a glance but if you throw a jacket on that Labrador they are going to be um, uh, almost like a beak and everybody's sort of looking at it and that can be quite challenging for people um, with PTSD, especially sort of in their early experiences of venturing out. Um, that can be a bit stressful and it can be a bit stressful to try and maintain the skills of the dog and maintain all of that sort of uh, uh, new information whilst you're heading out into sort of difficult spaces. So there are some challenges that come with it too, um, but the overwhelming majority um, of people come back and say it's you know, worth it. It's, it's been life-changing.
0: So, um, so is that um, because of that sort of safety in a way that the um, – that if I do start to have symptoms, I've got the dog there to yeah. feel safe with. I mean, what, what, how would you summarize what, what that does?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty good way of putting it. Um, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, like an, an, almost like a safety anchor, like a, uh, almost like a, a feedback loop of calm. Yes. Like you're, You're borrowing the animal's calm as you're out in those spaces um, to help you sort of get through. And as that experience happens more and more often, right, because you're able to access those spaces more often because they're less threatening, that new experience becomes reinforced. Um, So gradually over time, your body relearns safety through that relationship.
0: Have, have you had any um, comments back from family members that in a way the dog has liberated them a, a bit? Because um, I used to work, uh, my last um, job with an organisation was with Alzheimer's Australia and often in the dementia um, process, family members would say, I have to be home all the time or I have to go um, everywhere with the person because they, they panic if I'm, if I'm not there. Um, have family members commented about, well, I don't have to always go shopping with Bob because he can take the dog (laughs) or, I don't know, have you had that sort of anecdotal that it has freed the family up to not have to be with the person all the time?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we, I think we really like to have an emphasis on, on the role of the family in general, because it's, it's quite an unusual sort of relationship in terms of,
0: I think clearly, Artie, your you, you dog has picked up on the stress of doing the interview. I, I yeah, thought we were going to witness a nudge there. I think he's just a glory hog. His on <laughs> now, what, who have you got there?
1: So this is Koopa. This is, uh, so when I'm not working at ADA, I work as a psychologist um, uh, at another organisation um, and I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to get Cooper as uh, a therapy dog. Um, so he works with me um, at my other practice. Wow. Uh, uh, helping us out with, with kids and families and, um, yeah, sitting in there and and lending us that sort of little emotional heat sink um, in, in those uh, sort of therapy spaces.
0: Oh, well, Cooper's um, a natural.
1: <laughs> get him out of the way. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> what was I saying?
0: Um, what was the question, Martin? <laughs> so, um, I think I was asking it was about the the safety and family members feeling. Yeah, family members. They don't always have um, to go now because the dog. Yeah. It, the dog's role is to always go. Yeah,
1: so the the it's a really complex dynamic as well, and and we've 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 always had an emphasis on making sure that when the dog comes home the other people sort of understand what the role is because it's different to a pet dog in that we don't necessarily encourage as much uh sort of connection especially in the early sort of months with the rest of the family we want to to make sure that the primary sort of source of connection is with the um uh the person that the dog was placed with And uh, that can be a bit challenging at times. So we want to make sure that everybody at home is aware of what is sort of expected of them and what's expected of the dog in the space. Um, But gradually that often sort of softens and becomes more intuitive. Um, Definitely we've had feedback from partners um, of the people that come through saying, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's had a massive impact on their lives, but it's also had a massive impact on my life. Uh, because I didn't realize how much time and energy I was dedicating to sort of supporting this person. Um, sometimes that can be challenging uh, for those people as well because it, it feels like the dynamic has shifted. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, we try and support um, our people through that um, with our sort of follow-up visits, making sure that everything's sort of getting settled and that... Um, uh, the, the wife and the kids and the extended family are sort of okay and, and, and the dog is interacting well with everybody and um, the routines have sort of readjusted around them. Um,
0: so, yeah. so was that in terms of that I'm not needed as much now or? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's rarely a matter of like, oh, I wish they still needed me,
0: yeah. you know,
1: like they used to but it's, it can be such a big change in terms of just the dynamic. So, you know, I'm used to spending all of my time yeah. checking in with this person, making sure that they're okay. And now I, you know, I have to sort of figure out how to, um, you know, get that same sort of contact yeah. and connection through a different yeah. avenue. Um, but what we've seen is that that can also lead to, um, you know, relationships sort of flourishing yeah. um, um, and people sort of finding Uh, Well, often what we hear about, I suppose, uh, is, you know, people being able to go, say, on holidays with their partners or with their families again um, or go to events or places, um, you know, school plays and and things. Um, And so it feeling like the dog has helped um, sort of the family um, kind of travel more as a unit, again, Mm. if that makes sense. It's, It's... um,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely, and it's almost like, you know, adjusting to I'm freer to do more things for families and for partners than what I've been historically able to do and what would it be? <laughs> what, what, what will I spend, you know, I can actually go out now if I want to. Um, yeah. Look, it, often families are hidden in trauma or they're often hidden in, in everything, um, but it's a, it's such a um, an incredible point of the role that the dog can play in in that ricocheting through the family of opening up those sort of opportunities. And I'm sure it's something people don't really think about. Um, but, you know, it's just amazing, really. It's just outstanding. The- well, I mean, I
1: think I think the real, I guess the benefit of getting to talk about it like this is that it, it sort of answers questions um, that people might have. I think w- once once we start talking about it, a lot of the stuff that I'm sort of saying is it probably feels pretty intuitive. Like it would make sense. Um, somebody sort of able to head out to different spaces and feeling a little bit calmer that they're able to sort of connect with their families. But I think there's a little bit of a gap to be bridged when people see these dogs out in public and they think, well, what, what is it really sort of offering to somebody with mm. trauma? What is it offering to you know a family with um, somebody on the autism spectrum? And, how does the dog connect to those sort of um, uh, condition? What, what what does it offer? But I think it, it's sort of intuitive once it's just kind of
0: and brought I, out a little bit. I guess that's the extension of historically we've all you know grown up with looking at seeing eye oh, you know, dogs, and sort of it's yeah. obvious if the person um, doesn't have a hundred percent sight, they need a dog that can do that that for them. Um, and personally, you send to stop, that's where your thinking stops. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. You know, and you obviously understand that the dog will be a companion as well, but it's it's such an obvious connection into, well, you know, need the dog for my sight. Whereas this is quite different, so I can really understand how people, um, you know, don't really know much about those areas and um, clearly it's a, you know, growth area. Um, look, I, I, I can't thank you enough, um, for sharing your experiences, um, with me and it's opened my eyes into, as these interviews always do, into a whole range of other, um, possibilities and, you know, I get the sense that there's just starting to be more awareness around, you know, programs like yours have potentially so much to offer as a support to the existing services. And um, with Don, we had a little bit of a joke uh, about, well, how many counselling sessions did he think Bernie was worth? <laughs> and yeah. um, we came up with probably about 50 <laughs> in terms yeah. of... Um, of well, Bernie's, uh,
1: Bernie's a bigger dog, so maybe maybe even 65 for Bernie, maybe 50 for a regular um, lap, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and I think Don actually made the comment. I think he made the comment in terms of he's getting a bit more used to being looked at. um, But I think he said everybody's looking at Bernie, not him. Um, But look, I just wanted to, for for listeners, um, if, you know, obviously um, ADA, I don't, do you get government funding or are you pretty much self funded?
1: Um, pretty much self-funded. Uh,
0: self-funded. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody was listening to this and wanted to make a donation, um, to the work and, and towards, um, donations go towards training more dogs and, um, currently ADA's list is closed because obviously if we've heard it's a high intense, um, program that the dogs are put through. So, you know, uh, from a numbers point of view, that restricts, Um, how many dogs can go through the program and how many people they can be matched with. So, you know, if you've been um, touched, uh, please uh, go to the website and and make a donation to support. What I think will certainly be a a therapy way of the future as we learn more about PTSD. Thanks Addy. It's been great talking to you and um, I really appreciate what you've shared with us. And um, and uh, keep uh, what's the word? Uh, keep patting Cooper.
1: Keep patting Cooper. Maurice, um, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Trauma from the Frontline. If you are enjoying this series, please make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you find this information valuable, we ask that you rate the show five stars. If you would like to get in touch with me, please feel free to email me at bruce at letstalkdifferently.com.au. Until the next episode, please take care. If this episode has raised any issues for you, free counselling is available through your organisation's employee assistance provider, Lifeline on 131 114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636.